Hello AGP learners and welcome to this news update where we'll be looking at some of the big stories affecting primary care and health technology over the recent weeks and stuff. Um, I hope you find it as a valuable resource and in particular at the end of this um, news blast we've got a really good resource particularly if you're looking at tackling things like uh, appointments in primary care that's just been released by NHS Digital. So do make sure you stay tuned for that. Um, so let's tech enhance your primary care. If this is the first time we're meeting, I'm Dr. Gandalf from EGP Learning, where we look at supporting you with um, technology-enhanced primary care and learning. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, make sure you subscribe to followers and that you click on the bell to get notified of all the updates as they happen. Let's get started. First big news story of the week has been about the GPIT shakeup that Matt Hancock, our Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, has announced, which looks at effectively changing the minimum requirements for health technology companies like System One, EMIS, INPS and uh, Microtest in terms of creating electronic health records or EHRs. Um, this is, I think, a useful kind of thing and may potentially help patients, but I would be keen to hear how here how effectively they've made this so that it's suitable for practices as well. It's dead easy to kind of say that, you know, we're going to make it, you know, easy for people to use and minimum data sets and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, what that means in terms of how it affects, you know, patient care, how it affects all the other kind of stuff, like how practices function and stuff. No real information has been given about that. The idea is that it's meant to move computing up to the cloud area, which, you know, some companies have already started. So EMIS have announced their EMIS X platform due for release later on this year. Um, and also with that, easier access for patients, as well as access to things like video consultations and things. As I said, it will be interesting to see what this looks like and how this functions. Um, I guess one of the key things that hasn't been discussed is about how switching between companies will work. And obviously, if a company isn't up to code, you know, what does that mean for the practice? Does that mean they can't therefore use that system and therefore having to change computer systems at the last minute, which for any practice has gone through this kind of process, they will understand it's an absolute nightmare, both for clinicians staff and actually patients you know sometimes you can lose data as a result of this because let's be honest the systems don't really talk to each other very well at the moment so until that's changed we're going to see some real challenges and stuff and i hope that the gpit futures framework which is what matt hancock's called it um does have some impact on that by 2023 2024 it's meant to be in full effect so let's wait and see but as i said big caution on there the other part of that news story that needs talking about is the fact that people keep talking about the outdated technology in general practice, which is true to a degree. But I guess one of the key things is that this is out of context because of the fact that, well, it's what we've got, I'm afraid. There are significant requirements in terms of how practices use IT and that kind of stuff. And a lot of this is based on old architecture like Windows and, and, and MS-DOS in, in its early iterations. And only recently, some practices have been upgraded to things like Windows 7. I, for example, I'm still stuck with Internet Explorer 8, which any of you using the internet will know it's not the greatest browser to be using. So in terms of, you know, shaking up the IT data sets and all that kind of stuff, I would love to see some changes in that respect so that we can actually use more consumer technology. At the very least, let us have Google Chrome, Mozilla, Firefox, those kind of browsers in practice so that we can actually show patients up to date kind of things, you know, YouTube videos to show them how to actually use their inhalers, for example, you know, various different things, apps, that kind of stuff on our desktop and things. A lot of this we can't do at the moment because of the restrictions put upon primary care and general practices rather than what we ourselves are choosing to do. So I hope that the GPIT's future framework does allow some of that to change. Next up, well, we've had a new story that um, Boots UK has purchased a company called Wiggly Amps Limited. 
What is that? Well, it's an app um, development company that looks at creating uh, technology to support health technology companies and stuff. And the interesting thing about part about this, that from my perspective, at the very least, I don't know a great deal about the actual purchase itself, um, is simply that you know it may be a move by Boots UK to move you know, to, in competition with other kind of providers like Pharmacy to You and Echo, which are companies that deliver a more online method of, of pharmacy and stuff. We've seen a lot of changes in terms of how um, dispensing pharmacy functions. And and as a result of that, you know, um, pharmacists are struggling in some ways to develop funds and that kind of things. And I'm sure Boots UK are even feeling this. So this may be a shift to how they plan to deliver their consumer aspect of care and things. So it'd be an interesting thing to watch. The other health story for this past week, which some of you may have heard of and potentially even have patients come and see you about, is the fact that there is now a breath test for cancer. Yeah, I know. But effectively what this is in a bit more detail is that there is a trial going down in going on in down in Cambridge. So Alston Medical Practice um, are looking at using a piece of kit called Breath Biopsy, which is a registered trademark. Um, And it basically analyzes unstable molecules in the breath to look for cancer. Um, There is thoughts that clearly this is applicable for things like um, lung cancer obviously with the breath, but potentially also used for other forms of cancer as well. Um, and I'm interested to see what the data shows, you know, if it is a method, better method and a less invasive method of screening for particular forms of cancer. However, to be clear, this is a trial. This is not something that is fully effective and pretty much unless you're in Cambridge, you're not going to have access to this kind of thing. And it's looking at the data itself. So it's by no means 100%, you know. So um, I think it'd be interesting to watch. Um, The trial is planned for two years. So we hopefully have some more information then. But at the moment, if you do have a patient that comes in to see you and says, I want a breath test for cancer, I've heard about it on the news. At least you've got some more information about it and stuff. Next up. GDPR, there's four letters that every GP hates to hear right now. Um, So in the past week, there's been a debate in the House of Commons brought forward by Alex Norris, one of the local MPs. um, And it was debated with Margot, uh, MP Margot James, who's a culture, digital and something else secretary that I can't quite remember, I'm afraid. Um, And it was discussed about whether or not this is um, a system that really should continue for primary care. Why? Well, the subject access requests that many practices receive at the moment uh, previously were funded by a £50 charge if you gave um, uh, uh, aspects of a paper copy to patients, which are commonly requested, for example, by organisations wanting information about a patient. Um, lawyers is probably a key area and other kind of companies sometimes in terms of um, insurance, you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, and these are requests that a lot of companies probably won't really receive in terms of accessing someone else's data. It's not like as a gas company um, that you get these kind of requests on a regular basis for an individual person, maybe once or you know twice, but by no means the volume and percentage that I think many practices would face. With the loss of the charge, that obviously brings the question, how do practices fund the work that needs to be done to this? Because the other key challenge that general practice has is that a lot of our data contains third-party data which can't be shared for various reasons for example it's contact data for people that is not relevant um there may be stuff on there that is damaging to the individual person's health less of an issue i guess nowadays with more open and transparent care but it is something that obviously needs to be brought into mind and you know that takes a lot of time um, we have a combination of both paper and digital records and some of those paper records can go back several years so in terms of potentially even interpreting and decoding that information may be needed so this is all time that is needed 
Previously, practices could charge up to £50, um, and then that would in some way cover at least the photocopying costs often. Um, but now with the loss of that, there's obviously an impact that many businesses are facing. But I would argue that general practice is one where it's more critical and it's not remunerated. It's not like we can increase charges to compensate for the work that we're having to do. And more importantly, and this is the key aspect that I don't feel that MP Margot James has taken into account, is that this is detracting us from clinical work. Because it is unfunded, because it is work that we are required by law to do and tighter timeframes and an increase in number of requests, purely simply because lawyers are now insisting that patients approach us for this kind of method of access. And because it's free, therefore they make more profit, um, is having a greater impact on how practices are functioning. And I've yet to come across a practice that has not said that they've seen an increase in the number of subject access requests that they're receiving. So how do we balance this? Well, I don't know. Is a simple answer. Is a legal requirement to comply with it? There are exclusions um, and there's comments about over excessive use. However, no one has quantified what excessive use is. And I can guarantee you nobody wants to be that test case when it comes down to the Information Commissioner's Office because of the significant level of fines that someone may receive as a result of it. So it's a really hard nut to crack, I'm afraid. And I think until um, we see some changes in this aspect, we are going to see continued challenges in primary game practice in terms of how they deal with this and more importantly i think this is the key aspect that many of our politicians need to recognize this work is taking us away from our patients because it takes up clinical time to process yes some of it is administrative in terms of the actual photocopying that kind of stuff and some of it can be delegated in terms of you know training staff to look for third-party data and that kind of stuff but the overall responsibility is with the partners at the practice and at a time where partnership is seeing massive degradation in terms of how people are accessing and stuff it is no doubt one of the key areas that is causing the impact in terms of the primary care model so I hope and I, I, I do anticipate this needs to be something that is dealt with until it is dealt with. We're going to see continued challenges and stuff. So anyway, watch this space as always. Um, next up, the biggest story of the week, hands down, has to be the, um, the DNA DNA story. So um, I, I think if you work in general practice, you couldn't have missed this particular story. So approximately £200 million apparently could be saved by patients attending their appointment. Recent data suggests one in 20 patients do not attend their general practitioner, their primary care appointment. Um, and that, that's an approximate cost of £30 an appointment. People often say, well, it doesn't cost me to go to the GP. No, it may not cost you individually. However, it does cost the system. And using the PSSRU, so um, um, primary, uh, I can't apologize, guys. I can't remember what it stands for, but search for it. It's PSSRU. Um, they're the, the um, basically think tank that look at how much um, health services cost. They worked out it is approximately £30 for a 10-minute consultation um, with a GP. Uh, and therefore, that amount of cost to the system is being lost by you not attending the appointment. And I think um, we've had lots of stories from, for example, Nikki Kanani, um, our acting head of primary care for NHS England, and Helen Stokes-Lampard, the um, uh, RCGP chair, um, about how this is impacting patients and stuff. And, and it definitely is an impact in terms of concerns of, uh, you know, particularly patients who you anticipated on seeing them not attending. The reality is sometimes people can't attend appointments. You know, I hate to admit it, but I've missed an appointment once because I couldn't get there on time because of unexpected traffic. It sometimes happens. But the key thing is making sure that you do let the practice know if you know you're not going to be able to attend. Um, if you do book an appointment, 
put a reminder on your phone, tell someone else if that's the best way to help you remember, for example, making sure that you can attend those appointments because it is important. I think one of the things many people haven't talked about the fact is that actually with the amount of chaos and challenges that we are seeing in primary care, sometimes that did not attend is actually space for the clinicians themselves to catch up with things. You know, many people talk about the fact my GP may run late. Well, it's a reality of primary care. We're dealing with complex medical health issues, unexpected interruptions, for example, unwell patients or or calls from hospitals or other kind of services that require urgent attention. And as a result of that, you know, GPs do sometimes run late. It is the nature of things. And, and I think, you know, having a DNA sometimes helps you catch up. Does that change the amount of appointments that GPs deliver? Not really. You know, I, many of us will probably still be working over and above what many people would anticipate that we see. So my average morning, you know, if I'm on triage, I potentially make you know, deal with about 30 plus calls. Now, it's 30 different pages I need to consider, an average of five minutes each, you know, that's several hours of potential work. In terms of a face-to-face clinic, you know, my average clinic may be anywhere between 12 to 20 patients and we get extras booked in based on need. Um, and, you know, having a space sometimes just gives me that little bit of time to think about things so I can actually catch up on things. So I'll be honest, DNA is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Does it cost the system 200 million? Well, no, it doesn't because general practices pay the same no matter how many appointments they deal with. And that is a key challenge that I think needs to be addressed as well. And we shall see if that happens with the long-term plan that's due to come out tomorrow, guys. Yeah, interestingly, the the long-term plan is due for release tomorrow um i believe our our um, one of our uh, it'll either be secretary of state of health or our prime minister herself will be um on the news channels and stuff with a formal release on monday morning so do keep an eye out for that it's going to have significant impact on the way that healthcare is delivered over the next year or so and we are obviously still waiting the outcomes of the partnership review by nigel watson Last thing I wanted to talk about. So um, in terms of, I mentioned at the start that I had a resource that potentially may help you if you are looking at GP appointments. Well, it's just been released by NHS Digital. Um, I can't give you the full the, you know, URL on here because it's quite long and complicated, but it's basically um, a resource that allows you to look at your local area in terms of the number of GP appointments that uh, primary care appointments, sorry, that have been offered in the past few months, as well as it, you can split them up by type. So in terms of telephone, face-to-face um, visits, for example, or by clinician, so GP, nurse, other kind of roles and stuff, um, and also waiting times as well. So that's potentially useful data that you can look at to benchmark how you may be coping. I will be quite clear from what I can see from the data, this is more, more based on CCGs rather than individual practices. I don't think it's got the actual practice data as far as I can been able to figure it out. But feel free to have a look and you may find this a useful resource, particularly if you're a federated practice or a large provider over a particular area, looking to see how you're coping in terms of the offer that you may have. Does that mean that you're offering a good or a bad service? Absolutely not. This is just simple data to give you an idea of what other people are doing and how you may want to consider moving forward to for the best of your patients and also the best for your practice. Anyway, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this little news blast. Um, I hope you found it interesting. Um, hi to the guys that have seen the earlier versions of this with a couple of uh, bloopers and stuff. It's my first time trying a Facebook Live, trying to give this kind of data, and I hope that this will continue on a weekly basis for you guys as well. Um, if you do want to follow us, uh, Facebook, Facebook, uh, uh, EGP Learning um, on YouTube again EGP Learning um, and you can listen into the podcast uh, on the EGP Learning Podblast uh, which is either accessible via iTunes or Podbean or Spotify and if you don't want to support us uh, have a look at our Patreon page and stuff anyway guys I hope you've enjoyed this um, as always follow us and subscribe to get all the latest updates and stuff and 
As always, comment, share, keep EGP learning. See you later. Bye.